Okay, uh, this morning we're going to be picking up the second in our series, Hope for a Culture in Crisis. Last week we talked about uh, uh, now the, uh, first the good news, today is now it's the bad news. And so we're going to look at a passage, in, uh, we're going to work through a passage in Romans chapter 1, the end of Romans chapter 1. I'm going to be reading bits uh, during, uh, as we go through it from the Christian Standard Bible. And, um, and we're going to, first of all, we're going to look at a few verses at the beginning of Romans chapter 1. I'm not going to spend long on these, but these set the scene for what we're about with about what we're about to look at, and, about, and we'll land here at the end as well. This is what Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So last week we talked about the answer to our problems being a person, Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can change a heart. He's the only one who can change a household, make a difference in a community, alter a city, or save a nation. And yet Paul knows that many view the gospel, the good news about Jesus, as foolishness. In a Roman world, Jesus' cross, where Jesus died for our wrongdoings to enable us to have a relationship with God, to the Romans, the cross spoke of disgrace and weakness. And so whilst there were some who responded positively to Paul's preaching, others were antagonistic and publicly opposed him. And Paul wasn't surprised because he'd been there himself. That's where he started out, as being very anti-Jesus, publicly persecuting those who followed Jesus Christ. And so Paul wasn't surprised by persecution. And I think that's why Paul deliberately starts by declaring, he doesn't say, I'm proud of the gospel. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. He uses, uh, he couches it in a sense, uh, uh, speaks into people's battleground. That for us is a battleground today. We live in a society today where Jesus Christ is mocked. Anything that speaks of Jesus Christ reconciling us to God through dying on the cross, people mock and they laugh and they ridicule. Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago for your sins. You really believe that? And something inside us causes us to feel defensive and we can easily feel ashamed at the ridicule and the mocking. And some of you will have experienced that more than others. Paul encourages us this morning and says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul doesn't want us to be ashamed. He wants us to be thrilled and delighted that Jesus Christ has rescued us and turned our lives around, has broken in and brought good news where there was only bad news. He wants us to be bold in proclaiming this good news to a culture that's in crisis. I received a a, a car insurance renewal letter the other day. And the premium had gone up by about getting on for 15%. 
Haven't had a claim. Haven't had a claim for years and years. And so I was just sort of like, what's going on? I've been with them for 23 years. And so I phoned, phoned them up and I spoke to uh, uh, one of their representatives, one of their agents on the phone, and I said, look, can you explain to me why my premium's gone up by uh, getting on for 15%? And the guy said, well, I'll see what I can do, sir. And he says, well, we've looked at, and you're, you're, a good, you're a, been a client with us for a long time, and so as a loyalty bonus, we can do a deal for you today. And I said, whoa, 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 hang on a second. I said, when you sent out that renewal premium, you knew I'd been with you for 23 years. You knew I'd been a loyal client. You knew that I hadn't had, uh, I hadn't had a claim in many, many years. That's outrageous. And then as I started to, as I was talking to him, he started to get embarrassed. Started to get a little bit ashamed. I said, that's crazy, isn't it? I said, I, look, I know you're the, at just the end of a phone, but that's not great, is it? And he went, no, no, it isn't really, actually, is it? That's not great. <laughs> he got really, really apologetic. You see, the point I was making to him, he says, you're saying that you reward me for loyalty, but that's not what your letter communicates. The passage in front of us in Paul's letter to the Romans can make us feel like that. God's a loving father? Really? It doesn't feel what this letter communicates. Because Paul goes on to say, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven. We're going to look at that in a moment. God's wrath is revealed from heaven. That doesn't feel like a loving God. That sounds like bad news, not good news. Paul's point is to help us really appreciate the wonder and the glory and the, the splendor of what Jesus has done for us, this gospel, this good news. We need to understand the depth of our problem. And in Romans 1, Paul explains why things are as bad as they are. And so before we switch off this morning, concluding that this isn't relevant to 21st century Winchester, let me assure you nothing has changed over two millennia. Our world is not more advanced. We are not more, uh, we are no wiser. The human race is not evolving. Indeed, the opposite is true. Just as, it's in, just as in first century Rome, our society is in terminal moral decline. There are plenty of good things to talk about in our world. There are loads of good things happening. But the trajectory morally is only one way. The answer we're looking for won't be found in improved education, as good as that is won't be found in better legislation, better law enforcement, better values in our culture. All of those will be helpful, but they won't solve the problem. They won't deal with the root issue, which is the issue of the human heart. My brother-in-law uh, has been driving for many years, but I remember when he started driving, he had this... Uh, uh, he, he kept breaking down. He ran out of petrol 
about 17 times in about three months. And I remember him going on holiday, and he's driving on holiday with a good friend of mine, and they're driving up the M5. The M5 is shut to, down to one lane, and as they're going uh, up north, and uh, his car started to splutter. And uh, uh, there were moments, uh, uh, they'd go over, they'd be going up a hill and the car would be doing about 10 miles, 15 miles an hour kangarooing up the M5 north. And the traffic behind is queuing way, way back. They'd get over the top of, top of a hill and then he'd slap it into neutral and then they'd pick up speed. And then they'd get to the bottom of the hill, they'd go up another hill and they'd do the same again. And in the end, they called the AA out. They had the AA out about three times when they were on holiday. In the end, the AA guy in despair says to them, he says, have you ever run out of petrol? And he says, well, actually, yes, 17 times in the last three months. Here's the issue. When you have a car and it's pristine and everything's in perfect working order, the petrol tank is beautiful and inside is clean, but what happens over the years, it picks up sediment and picks up bits of grime and whatever, and it starts at the bottom of the tank, there's all sort of sludge and whatever. And whilst there's lots of petrol in there, actually the, the petrol runs through the engine clean, along the pipes clean. But as you run out of petrol, what happens? It sucks the sludge and pulls the sludge and the slime and the dirt and the muck all through the system. Until in the end it gets clogged up and in the end it doesn't go and it won't go anywhere. You see, in the beginning, God created us perfect. We were made perfect. He formed us, breathed life into us. When we turned away from God and went our own way, bit by bit, humanity has got the sludge and the grime and the sickness of what the Bible calls sin, our independence from God, our living without reference to Him is there. And there are moments that it start, we pull it into our lives and our lives get clogged up and messed up. Sin spoils God's good creation. If we ignore God and live without reference to him and his instruction, he is not pleased. And so what we read in Romans is that Paul pulls no punches. He says this, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I remember my sister mitching off school. I remember my mum seeing her as she's mitching off school and her, my sister waving to her as she disappeared off for the day. My sister's attitude was, well, I've been caught, so I may as well enjoy the day because I'm in trouble anyway. Disaster. I want to tell you what a disaster because my mum was going to tell my dad. And uh, I just remember thinking, my dad's going to be angry. That was an understatement. My dad was absolutely, he went mental, as we say in the West. He went mental. <laughs> mental. You see, most of, uh, most of our reactions when we read this, the opening to Paul's letter is shock. And we're going to read some verses as we go through this morning. And Paul pulls no punches. You see, we'd expect him to talk about people's problems in Rome, people's needs and feelings before setting out the gospel. We think that's probably the way to land it, Paul, if you're going to land a message like this. Some of us who've just started coming to church this morning, I want to say to you, you're probably going to find, when I read this passage, you're going to find it difficult. 
Some of you who've been coming a long time will find it uncomfortable. Because in today's culture, what Paul says seems blunt, harsh, graceless. He pulls no punches about things our society these days holds dear. For Paul, there's no attempt to soften the blows. Paul is clear, God is angry. An angry God? Steve, last week you were talking about good news, a God that loves us. Surely there's a contradiction there. Sounds like a different message. Doesn't sound like the sort of thing Jesus might say. I want to tell you, Paul is sharing with us the gospel. We need to hear the, good news, the bad news if we are going to really understand the good news. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The God who created all things, who formed us, sustains us, who gave us breath, is angry. Not human anger like my dad's. He's angry at our sin. John Stott explains it like this. The wrath of God then is almost totally different from human anger. It does not mean that God loses his temper, flies into a rage, or is even malicious, spiteful, or vindictive. The alternative to wrath is not love, but neutrality in the moral conflict. And God is not neutral. On the contrary, his wrath is his holy hostility to evil. His refusal to condone it or come to terms with it, his just judgment upon it. You see, Paul starts with God's anger. He uses the phrase wrath ten times in the book of Romans. God is actively angry at our rebellion and the consequences of it. I want you to notice the consequences of it. First, he says, God's angry at the godlessness. Godlessness comes first. Godlessness, doing without God, shutting the God out who created us, who formed us, who made this universe, who understands us. Shutting him out. Godlessness, that's the start of our problem. It makes it, turning our back on God makes him angry. It is an amazing act of mercy that God hasn't just wiped us out. Amazing act of kindness and mercy that he hasn't wiped us out. Godlessness, a turning away from God, always leads to wickedness. The moral collapse around us is a sign of the wrath of God. And you'll see why as we unpack this passage. God has left us to our own devices. The Bible says, Paul says, we suppress the truth. We press down the truth by the way we live without reference to God. We press it down. We won't allow the truth out because we don't want it to change the way we live. We choose, we choose by our actions to shut God out. Whether we do it by conscious means or unconsciously, we are excluding God. And Paul pulls no punches. God is not pleased. God is angry. The second thing Paul talks about, he says, is there's no excuse. 
for this behavior. There's no excuse for our behavior on our part. So this is what he says. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them, for his invisible qualities, that is his eternal. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. I remember standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon early one morning as the sun rose when we were, Annie and I were on sabbatical. And you saw, the sun, as the sun started to rise, you saw this amazing vista. It was one of the greatest privileges of my life, standing and just seeing this amazing scene unfold. And as I looked out and saw the splendor of creation, it provoked me to think of God and worship. You see, Paul's saying that, Paul is saying that what can be known by everyone about God is plain. Because God has made it plain. You see, through history, God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen. His eternal power, his divine nature can be understood from creation. The psalmist sums it up like this. The heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. Their message has gone out to the whole world. No one has an excuse. We can see the goodness of God in nature, in sun, and rain, and harvest time. It provides us with food and brings us joy. Despite the complexity, despite the amazing design and staggering beauty of this world and of this universe that we live in, many willfully refuse to believe in a creator. Some argue that God needs to properly reveal himself. What staggering arrogance. I don't know if you've considered this. I, every time I think about the eye, I think there must be a God. We talk about evolution and somehow that beings evolved to more advanced. If a, if a, a one-cell organism to develop into something like this specimen of humankind that you see in front of you. There has to be a God. But the eye, you just think about it, just think, how does, if, how can a one-cell organism say, well, I'm just going to see. I'm going, to, I'm going to create an eye because I want to see what's going on. How is that going to happen? How does, how does that process unfold? If the survival of the fittest is true, then surely they would never happen. How can that happen? I'm not, I'm not a scientist. I'm not here to make a scientific argument. But I want to say to you that I, I believe 
God created the heavens and the earth. I believe God created me. I believe that it takes a far greater step of faith to believe that it was all an accident. I believe that the design and the creativity and the intelligence that's clearly gone beyond the complexity that's beyond this universe and this creation is a sign that God is at work. Paul says that we all know the general revelation. We all know. We all have a general revelation, an awareness of God through the, from the world around us. And by ignoring God, we show how foolish we are. This is what J.B. Phillips says in his translation, paraphrase. He says this, Behind a facade of wisdom, they became just fools. Fools who had exchanged the glory of the eternal God for an imitation of mortal man or of creatures that run or fly or crawl. Fools. We all do this when we worship things or people instead of putting God at the center of lives, allowing him to be in the throne of our lives. He created us. He formed us to worship him. And when we don't put him center stage in our lives, we show ourselves to be fools. Clearly that general awareness isn't enough to save us. But what it is, it is enough to point us to seek the one who will save us and can save us. So none of us are without excuse. We now come to really difficult passage. I want to listen to this. Paul says there is no restraint now. We've, without excuse, but God has removed restraint. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator who is praised forever. Amen. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their, woman, their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left their natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are filled with that will. Yeah, they are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. A day will come when we will see the right for anger of God at a fallen world. Only Jesus can rescue us. Yet God say, uh, Paul says God's wrath is now being revealed in our world. There isn't shouting from heaven. Rather, God has left us to the consequences of our actions. We live in a victim culture. We're all victims. It's never our fault. We never take responsibility. God says, not one of us is without excuse. There are consequences to turning our back on the immortal God. J.B. Phillips says, they gave up God 
and therefore God gave them up. The moral decline around us is because God has handed us over to fulfill our own desires. It's one of the most chilling phrases we will ever hear. There's a moment in when you're bringing up children. You have a hand on their shoulder and you guide them and you want them to listen to you because you know what's best for them. And there's a moment though when that hand has to be lifted off. And you have to let them go their own because they're now adults. They're responsible for their own actions. There are people here today who know the pain of what that's like. Understand the pain that all you can do now is pray and love your children as they make their choices for their lives. This downward spiral that Paul talks about can be stark and can leave us aching as we watch on. Paul says that God delivers us over in the desires of our hearts. He talks about sexual impurity. He isn't specific about what he means by that. Paul says we exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship created things rather than the creator. John Stott sums this up. A false image of God leads to a false understanding of sex. Sex is my right. We hear that all the time. Sex, you're told, will fulfill you, will make you truly human. It's not true. It's not what God says. Sex is not just a meaningless act. Ruin so many lives. Given over in the desires of our hearts. Given over in verse 26 and 27 to disgraceful passions. It's clear Paul's reflecting back on the order of creation. The created order. We've turned our back on God and his good creative plan. We've exchanged, abandoned what's good for what's unnatural. And when Paul uses that word, he means not as was intended in the creation. See, Paul sees that in first century Rome. He sees the result of people, people being given over in their passions, inflamed by lust. But I want you to get this, hear this. Paul never criticizes people for their sexual orientation, only their lifestyles. Sexual orientation, sexual promiscuity, same-sex relationships were all huge issues in Rome, just as they are in the UK today. Paul could easily have talked about gender being impacted by nature as well as by human decision. People who were eunuchs, who'd been emasculated, people who were born with gender issues were apparent in Rome. It's not a 21st century issue, but Paul goes back to creation. Sex was designed by God between a man and a woman within the confines of a committed relationship. That's what the Bible says. And today we face lots of questions around that subject and there are too many for me to try and even begin to answer this morning. 
And so we've invited Andrew Bunt from King's Church Hastings. He's one of the teaching uh, on the, te- the team there, and he teaches. He's an experienced teacher, but has his own personal challenges in these areas. And he's going to come and speak to us on Sunday the 22nd of September here at the NBC. And the subject, he's going to talk about is important. And if you want to hear what he's got to say, we do a bit of a Q&A as well. It'd be an opportunity for us to consider these things in a bit more detail. See, the reality is the subject won't go away and God isn't going to change his mind. And so we need help if we're going to reach people immersed in this culture with the good news about Jesus Christ. The final stage is given over in desires of our hearts, disgraceful passions, but a depraved mind. As God takes his hand of restraint off us, as he takes his hand off us, we see the irrevocable breakdown of community around us. Paul has specifically referred to sexual impurity, both hetero and homosexuality. One reason for this, why does Paul speak so specifically about sexuality? Why does he do that? I think he does it because there's lots of, just like Jews in first century, it would be very easy to be judgmental in our hearts and to throw stones and criticize and just to put them in a bracket, people who struggle with those areas in a bracket by themselves. And Paul pulls that thinking, that house of cards that we so easily slip into, pulls it down in a moment. And he refers to so many other things that impact us all. Just listen to a few of them. Greed, envy, quarrels, gossip, J.B. Phillips uses the phrase whisperers behind doors. How many of us behind closed doors have said things and whispered and slander, boastful, disobedient to parents, untrustworthy, unloving. See, no sin is worse than any other. It's not just when we do these things, but when we approve of people who do those sorts of things. It's very easy to turn our back on some things and focus on others and make it look as if it's righteous or holy or a better way to live. Jesus says, let him who is without sin throw the first stone. Paul, when he writes to Corinthians about some of these things, he says to them, and this is what some of you were. All of us need the grace of God. Finally, Paul says this, without Christ there is no hope. For although they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they even applaud those who practice them. We've seen this last week, people railing against the government actions to exit the the European community with no deal. Process of prorogation. Using the law to try and get out without a deal. Loads of people, there's been loads of names, loads of name calling, loads of noise, more heat than light. 
Because people don't want to see the law being enforced, and so they're in the process of changing the law. And so, likewise, people's reaction to what the Bible says is not indifference. People are not indifferent. Actually, they rage against what the Bible says on these issues. People hate what the Bible says. Because I think somewhere deep down in the human heart, people recognize that God's sentence, God's assessment of our actions is in line with the law, even though they hate it. You see, right from the beginning, the, the Bible says that our sin, our separation from God results in the loss of spiritual life, spiritual death. See, God created us more than just being flesh and blood. He created us as spiritual beings. He breathed life into us. And our sin, our rebellion will separate us from God for eternity. There is no hope. We deserve our punishment. Our situation really is that bad. And that's why the gospel is so good. Let's go back to where we started for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes to both the self-righteous and the obvious sinner so easily do that don't we in the gospel God's righteousness is revealed It was hidden. Many of, like the Jews in Rome, have tried to live in the way that God intended, yet have been ensnared by arrogance and pride, only to find they're no better than those whose lifestyles they despise. No one can reach God's standard. No one can satisfy the righteous wrath of God. And the gospel doesn't lower the bar. Instead, it gives us right standing with God. We can't do it ourselves. But one of the great little phrases in Romans is this. But God, but God, through Jesus Christ, reconciles us to God. Paul says, He made the one, Jesus, who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This becomes ours through faith, through putting trust in Jesus. It's from faith to faith. It's not about our works. It's from trusting Jesus from beginning to end. From the beginning of our Christian life to the end of it, we trust him to save us. It's the gift of God. We don't deserve it. Only Jesus can deliver us from the guilt of sin, the power of sin, the pollution of sin that destroys lives. We see lives around us destroyed. The gospel is God's power at work saving us. The Bible says we have been saved. It says we are being saved. It says one day we will finally be saved. Jesus gives us the prescription. Jesus is the answer. The Holy Spirit dispenses the answer, making it effectual in us. That's why we need His Spirit. And so, as we finish this morning, 
We stand before a God who has done all that needs to be done that we might be reconciled to him. None of us are without excuse, but none of us are without a way out. Jesus Christ. And so we stand this morning. Let's stand together. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Jesus Christ, given for us. That the bad news might become good news for us. And today, you may be here, you may not have given your life to Jesus Christ. I tell you, there is good news for you. Good news for today and good news for eternity. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, we lift our eyes and we go, thank you God for your mercy and your grace and your kindness in rescuing me, someone who didn't deserve it. None of us deserve it. Whatever we've done. And there are many, many more people out there who need to hear this good news. And so our doors are open to any who will come and listen to one who can rescue them and save them. Because we were all like that once. Let's worship God together.